My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. Heartbreak. Have you been there? Most of us have, and it's never easy. Today, we're going to talk with a hopeless romantic who says he's kind of terrible at managing his own love life, but kind of brilliant at helping other people with theirs. We'll also explore ways to hit on someone who feels out of your league with the help of Dr. Megan Fleming and explore my guest's experience with an eating disorder, including what helped him heal. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so thrilled that you're listening. This episode is brought to you by The Pleasure Chest, a fabulous company that has been championing sex positivity for decades. Visit their store in LA, Chicago, or New York, or shop online at thepleasurechest.com. And hey, tell them Girl Boner sent you. To find the link to last September's toy of the month, thanks to the pleasure chest, it's called the Lawand. I love it because it's shaped like a microphone. Visit augustmclaughlin.com forward slash sexy dash photoshoot dash tips. augustmclaughlin.com forward, uh, forward slash sexy dash photoshoot dash tips. While you're on my site, be sure to sign up for email updates, which I send about once a month. And while Talkspace is not today's sponsor, I do want to give them a shout out because I know that so many people right now are experiencing heartache over the mass shooting in Las Vegas. I wish I had words that would help ease the pain or, you know, stop these things from happening. What I can offer is a $30 discount on talking to somebody about your hard feelings, anything that you're going through, whether it's for a month, for several months ongoing. You get access 24-7 to a qualified therapist that you get matched up with. And by using my link, which is talkspace.com forward slash boner, easy to remember, uh, you save $30 off your first month. And it's a lot more affordable than conventional therapy. I still believe there is so much more good in the world than evil. And I also believe that small steps go far. So please, please just hold on to the light in your lives and know that you are so not alone if you're struggling. We can cultivate a safer, more compassionate world. I really, 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 really believe that. Speaking of hope, we have a hopeless and hopeful romantic sitting here in the studio. I've been looking forward to meeting Brett McGinn for a while of lovefuckingsucks.com. What a great domain name and company name. He's got a great shirt sporting it right over there. Thanks for joining me, Brett. Thank you so much for having me. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your personal journey. Growing up, did you learn much about sex and relationships? Yeah, definitely. Um, as far as sex is concerned, well, I'll just tell you everything. So the first time I masturbated, I actually had some of my best friends with me because it was like I needed their support because I didn't know how to get through it because I thought it was painful. And uh, yeah, it, you know, I, 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 there was just such a new feeling and I was so not used to it that it was uncomfortable. So my one friend said, every time you stop, I'm going to punch you in the shoulder because, you know, we were a couple rough young boys and I obviously won't share his name. But uh, so after about three welts on my arm, I finally finished and I realized what a glorious experience it was. And ever since I've I've loved sex. Um, growing up, I didn't know too much about it outside of sex ed and the first time I had intercourse myself, I was 16 years old. And I guess I was one of the first people to have sex out of my my group, which is funny considering I'm now the least sexually active. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I you know, I had a normal upbringing yeah. in Ohio. Ah, Midwest. I'm from Minnesota. Awesome. Nice. So that's really fascinating that you had the wherewithal, though, to ask your friends for support because it's one of those taboo subjects, right? Yeah. But I do feel like boys get more encouragement around masturbation, whereas mm -hmm. girls, it's like no one wants to even think they're doing it. Exactly. A little bit better now. But so was it just part of your conversations and, and you were like, well, I've never done it? 
yeah, I mean, my best friends were very open and we've all, you know, we were all kind of out of place in the Midwest, to be honest, because we were very open. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just told them what I was going through and they had already shared some of their experiences and they were definitely there for moral support and a little bit of pain. Wow. That is really fascinating. And and then, as you said, you uh, went through probably very limited sex ed, learned through experience. Mm -hmm. And throughout all this, I know growing up, you also dealt with some body image issues that I also went through. Definitely. What age around did you start experiencing these or was this kind of ongoing? No, it was when I was 12 years old. Um, I actually ended up admitted to the hospital for anorexia at age 12. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was told my heart rate was 28 beats per minute. It was a miracle I was alive. And just having that experience at such a young age when most people don't even know, you know, they can't even really concept, they don't have a grasp on the concept of death. And I had already cheated death at 12 years old. Wow. But uh, yeah, that was quite an experience. That's, I know that terror too. There's that, there's that fear of weight gain and food and all of that. But the fear of death is a whole different thing. And so many people with anorexia, which is what I was first diagnosed with too, there's this, you're, you don't want to die a lot of the times. There are people who suicidal tendencies do come up often. But I know for me, I didn't want to die. I was terrified of it, but I also didn't know how to live comfortably. For me, it was honestly striving for perfection. I was a little bit overweight. I started to lose weight. I love the recognition I was getting for it. And then you know, somewhere mentally, I was obviously a little off at the time, but when people told me I was looking too thin, it was, you know, fuck them, they're jealous, you know. I was able to lose all this weight on my own. No one else can do this. And it was just kind of being a perfectionist. Mm. And you do get so much attention for losing weight. There's way too much kind of celebration of that. And also when you're in that mindset, I think it's so easy to take even people's concerns as compliments, like someone mm -hmm. going, oh my God, you're so thin. And you're like, wow, thanks. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a terrible headspace to be in, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I can definitely relate to that. How did you start to turn things around? I know that it's not a simple, like you flip a switch. Yeah. So uh, like I said, I was admitted to the hospital and my heart rate was so low that I had to gain weight to watch, gain weight to brush my teeth, gain weight to talk to my parents, gain weight to have my parents visit me. So I was literally sitting in a hospital bed for 10 days before I was finally let go. And, you know, that felt like a month because I literally had nothing to do. Mm. And basically the doctor came to me and he said, if you eat this, you can go home. And he pulled out a little bite-sized Reese's peanut butter cup and, you know, obviously I wolfed it down because I knew I needed to get out of there. But this is when I knew how fucked up I was mentally. I had to keep a track of how many calories I was eating a day. And I was like, you know, hey, doc, thanks so much for letting me go home. But uh, just for my log, can you tell me how many calories were in that? Mm -hmm. And then he told me he was completely oblivious to the fact that it meant so much to me to know how many calories were going into my body. So a moment that should have been very happy for me to finally going home, I just realized how fucked up I really was mentally. It's really unfortunate, too. I think that very well-intended healthcare professionals don't really get it mm -hmm. and maybe have learned certain things that might help some people. But in some ways, it's like, and I understand using fear because that's a big motivator, right? Like if if you are afraid of being hospitalized, you may take better care of yourself, but there has to be more than that to really heal because you can't just live in fear of it because you're already living in fear. And exactly. then if people start like measuring things for you and saying, you have to eat this many portions, it's kind of the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it's control over someone's taking it away from you. And exactly. When I was in the hospital, I didn't feel that anyone was focusing on the mental aspect of it, it, it was a numbers game. You know, you need to gain this much weight to brush your teeth, this much weight to see your parents, this much weight, and we'll maybe think about letting you go home. And that's just not, I mean, no one should have to go through that, especially at such a young age when you're so impressionable. And then even, you know, I, I visited my doctor, I think it was once a week for a couple months after, and it was always a number on the scale. I mean, I obviously had a therapist on top of that, but I was mm -hmm. just eating ice cream to make sure that I wasn't going back into the hospital. Wow. And now that I'm a little bit older, I, you know, I don't blame my parents for any of that. They, of course. They weren't very familiar with the process as they wouldn't be. But, uh, 
yeah, it's just the way that it was handled was kind of amateur in my opinion. Yeah, there's I think there's there's been progress. I still think there's a lot of work to do in those arenas and uh, I personally prefer the programs and the professionals who don't weigh you at all. Mm-hmm. Because to me it's there are so many other more important measures of health. Yeah. You know, weight is really literally just a number and you know, how is your energy? Are you sleeping? Do you feel good? Exactly. Are you able to have positive moods? Are you hungry all the time? Do you have no appetite? Like, there's so many other questions that are so much more important. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I agree. So beyond that, what helped you start to kind of have a better relationship with your body and get out of the grasp of some of the number fixation? You know, it's interesting. When it all happened, when you think of someone that has anorexia, you probably think of someone that's severely depressed, that doesn't have a lot of friends. And I was the exact opposite. I was the president of my class. I had tons of friends. I was just very popular. And, you know, for the most part, I was feeling great about myself because I finally felt comfortable in my own skin until it obviously got too bad. But uh, I'm sorry, what was the initial question? So more healing. Did you, So you got out, but there was still fear. Yeah. And so was it spending time with your friends and just kind of realizing you had to move forward? Was it a gradual process? Yeah, you know, I was talking to my therapist, but honestly, even talking to her, I realized I'm always seeking the approval of other people. And that was such a hard lesson to learn at such a young age, especially given the way our society is naturally. You know, we're told to always seek the approval of other people. And since then, I've I've been able to get a lot more comfortable in my own skin. And, you know, I started a company named Love Fucking Sucks just because <laughs> I want to stress the importance of being comfortable in your own skin and showing people the true you. Mm, I love that. So you've really turned it into something positive. I feel like, and I've met so many people who've gone through eating disorders, as I imagine you may have too. Mm-hmm. And there is this beautiful thing that can happen where you go through so much. You may come close to death. You You have to fight so hard to feel good and and vibrant and to take that energy and to be like, you know what, screw everything. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to step out. I'm going to do something that might be a little taboo or might be, you know, outside the lines, which I really appreciate. So you were in college. uh, I read on your website, getting drunk, trying to get laid, behind locked doors, having heart-to-hearts with broken-hearted girls. Tell us more about that. I wasn't getting drunk and trying to get laid, but all my friends were. And while they were, I was having the conversations with the girls behind locked doors. But yeah, basically, I've always been someone that's been very compassionate. And for whatever reason, people feel that they can talk to me about anything. So I just noticed in, in college, you know, particularly females, but I definitely had a lot of close friends that just felt that they could pour their hearts out to me and they never felt that they were being judged by me. And that's ultimately why I started my business. That's really, really interesting. Yeah. So you've also been really open about the fact that you struggle with love. Yeah, I'm terrible at navigating my own love life. And I think, that, you know, that's what I market myself as, as a real relatable person. And I do think there's this untapped market of people that, you know, they might be above getting a therapist just because of the negative connotation that comes with it. And they find themselves in this cycle of continually annoying the shit out of all their friends with their love lives and their issues. And I just want those people to know that I'm here, a real relatable person, and I'm willing to talk to them about whatever they're going through. That's a super fascinating concept. And I like that you're open about the fact that you struggle because I have a lot of friends who were like, you know, well, for example, myself, I write, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a writer, and it's very hard to edit your own work, yeah. right? Um, so it, I could see people kind of thinking, well, if you're a writer, you must never have a typo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or I have a friend who's a hairstylist. She's like, I can't do my own freaking hair. <laughs> yep. She could do everybody else's hair. Yep. So there's there can be a real benefit there. So what are some of the most common issues that people come to you with? They might not come to me initially with this, but what I find is that they don't have enough love for themselves and they're trying to seek you know, acceptance from someone else and they're trying to find all their happiness and love from someone else. And you just can't do that. If there isn't any self-love, you can't expect to get all of your happiness from someone else because that's essentially like building a house without a foundation. And then once that relationship ends, you know, you're beside yourself because you don't know how to be alone. 
So I think self-love and kind of teaching people the importance of that and just, you know, some techniques to increase self-love is something that I see a lot. That's huge. That's huge. I read a study in the Journal of Neuroscience earlier this year, and it looked at the brains of people going through heartbreak. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting. It proved some things that anyone who's been there is like, well, duh, of course, right? right? Because it is so, it feels so traumatic. But they said that the brain regions were activated similarly when a person felt actual like physical painful heat mm -hmm. as when they saw photos of their exes. So they had like the scientific proof validating the idea of emotional pain being actual, like physical, physical pain, pain too in your brain, like in right. your chemistry. And, you know, and for many people, it said that heartbreak and breakups and divorce are the most traumatic thing that they may go through. Mm -hmm that, you know, it raises the likelihood of depression significantly. But what was really cool about this study was that they showed that positive expectations led to improved feelings. So what they did was there was a placebo like this. I think it was an inhaler. I can't remember if it was the mouth or the nose, but they used this inhaler and they told them it was a remedy for this stuff. Like, you're going to feel better if you puff this stuff. And it was really helpful. FDA approved or no? <laughs> That's a really good question. <laughs> okay. I hope so. Um, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot. I don't have the uh, scientist's name here, but um, it was published. So I hope they looked at that. But the the placebo worked because the scientists said when people believe that there can be a positive outcome, that they're doing something proactively, something taking a step, believing and expecting this is going to help me. It's really powerful. And so they said, like, um, a really powerful antidote is from sadness and worry in general, but especially with heartbreak, is to change or to take charge in your life in some way. So I could see the self-love fitting in here. And he said friends and family can be a big distraction, like go out and do something, keep a journal, see a therapist, talk to Brett, like, you know, do something like proactive mm -hmm. that you can um, that you can really feel the the act of doing something that is inspiring or hope-inducing, what else do you think really helps when you're in that space? Because it seems like you work with a lot of people who are in kind of down in the dumps. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'd recommend, and you kind of touched on it, is either picking up a new hobby or picking up an old one. Just something to kind of keep you active and keep you do the things that make you happy that aren't related to that relationship that you were in. You know, I mean... And it's all about perspective. And so many people try to live in the past after a relationship. And I do think going through the grieving process is really important and you should, you know, embrace it and learn from it. And that's one thing I know it's a lot of people, they pretty much want to get better really quick scheme. And there isn't one, you know, there's not a, there's nothing you can put up your nose to make you at least in a healthy manner. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just Step out of your comfort zone, too. Sometimes you find putting yourself in situations that make you uncomfortable. That's who, how you find out who you truly are. Yeah. And then you can get something positive out of the breakup, too. Mm -hmm. I feel like personally, the times I've gone through breakups have turned out to be really strengthening experiences. Yeah. You know, even though it, feel, it can feel like hell while you're in it, you know, that goodness comes and, and you're like, wow, I'm now kind of looking back, glad I did this. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Are you able to tell a breakup story that you've gone through? The person that I fell the hardest for, I didn't even have a relationship with, which was really interesting. I mean, you know, we said cute things to each other and I fell very, very hard. I'm such a hopeless romantic. I, I'm such an emotional person too that I was just head over heels for this girl. And basically... I found that my biggest issue was I wasn't living in the moment. Even when I was, you know, talking to her, I was planning my future with her. And I think just living in the present is such a big part of life. And, you know, either we're depressed about something that had happened in the past, which we can't change, or we're thinking about something in the future, which we have no control over. And it's like, if you're going to make up an idea on your head, why not make it a positive one? You know, if you're going to think about the future, think positively. Yeah, I like that. It's really practical. And yeah, just going through the grieving process. I mean, I talked to this girl for like a year and a half and I'd say I was in the dumps for a solid six months. Um, it just made me realize who I am and the fact that I am very emotional and that's what makes me who I am. So, you know, while I was severely, severely depressed, I could I can now see the silver lining that 
I'm such a good person and someday someone's going to be able to appreciate that. While it didn't play out how I thought it was supposed to, things change. Yeah, yeah. And thank you for being open about your sensitivity and emotional nature because I feel like especially guys need to know that that's a good thing to embrace. I feel like there's not enough encouragement to say that's a really attractive a quality in a person to be connected with your emotions. One thing I've noticed the older I've gotten is I kind of look at kids for guidance more so than adults, which people find interesting. But the thing about kids is they don't really know, you know, they love themselves. They don't really, they don't know all this negative bullshit that we're taught. And they wear their emotions on their sleeves where I notice a lot of adults, they suppress their feelings and they want to, they want to be someone that they're not, you know? I am an emotional person and I love that. And you look at a kid, they might have a temper tantrum or they might cry, but they they let those feelings out and then they get the fuck over it. Where a lot of people in their adult lives, they just hold on to things. Yeah, that is such a good point. They haven't been kind of tainted by societal norms or pressures yeah. or having to please other people. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. What about closure? Do you feel like there are specific ways to to get that I know you know we hear about ghosting a lot or what if you don't have obvious closure yeah um hmm I don't think you necessarily need it I honestly think it's an ego thing because I one thing I can't stress the importance of enough is you shouldn't be friends with someone directly following a relationship and the reason is just inevitably one of you is going to want more or one of you is going to be uncomfortable with the situation. And, you know, I hate when people try to be friends. It's just, it's not what you've known for however long. And if you've never had a friendship, you've never had that dynamic with that person. So you don't even know if you'd make good friends, you know? Like, <laughs> That's a really good point, actually, yeah. You have to go through the grieving process, and then maybe somewhere down the line, when there aren't so many emotions attached to it, it'll make sense. But I definitely don't think it's healthy. You know, there's always... There's always certain situations where it might make sense. But for the most part, I think you guys should take your space and kind of learn and go through the grieving process. I talked to a therapist on the show, uh, I think last year, who said that she feels it's really important to unfriend, unfollow. A hundred percent. I mean, all that does is make you have these jealous feelings and you're constantly comparing yourself to them. I mean, one look at social media, how many people show their true emotions. You know, they're always showing you the best side of themselves. So it's not even a way to, you know, accurately know what that person's going through. And it's just not healthy. It it makes you live in the past. It makes you jealous. It makes you think, you know, why is she with this guy when she could be with me? Why is she getting over this before me? What the fuck's wrong with me? Why is she so perfect? Why am I not? And yeah, I, I agree with her. So once you're ready to move on, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like there's so many different ways to know that. Um, what comes to mind for you? Is it just like a sense of like an intuitive, oh, I'm not, or do you kind of think rebounds are okay? No, I, I think if you go into a relationship too quickly, you're, you know, you're not being fair and you're constantly comparing that new person to the old person. And like I said, you just have to go through the grieving process and kind of start off from a new slate. And once you go through that grieving process, you'll be able to look back at negative aspects of your previous relationship and you'll know not to incorporate them into your new relationship. Yeah. I I mean, again, though, there's always, you know, it's case by case. You could meet the girl of your dreams the next day or a guy and the rest could be history. Yeah, that's true. And I really appreciate you pointing out that it's not so cut and dry. Mm -hmm. Every case is different and there's no rule book, you know, but I think that in general, we probably have a good gut sense and we can tell when we're kind of like, this is unhealthy, but I want to do it anyway. (laughs) It's a feeling for sure, for sure. Uh, So we have a question from a listener named Tessa and I think it's a really interesting one and, and a fun one to cover. I think many people can probably relate. She wrote that she's been listening to Girl Boner for years. Thank you so much, Tessa. I so appreciate that. Um, she wants to know how she can move 
make a move on a guy who seems out of her league. Here's part of her email. She said, my question is this, how do I make a move on a very hot guy? I am an average looking girl and there is a gym I joined where the trainer is so sexy. He's tall, muscular, outgoing, motivating, and funny. I try to take his class, but I'm just one of many females there. I look him up on Facebook and it says he's single. Basically, I want to know, how do you make a move on a guy who seems out of your league? I figure I have nothing to lose, but I'm afraid of rejection and making a fool of myself. I could just give up, but I'm tired of fear holding me back in life. Tessa, thank you so much first for your question. I I commend your courage so much. I think it's awesome that you want to take this leap and it'll only help other areas of your life when you, you know, challenge yourself to do something that's that's challenging no matter what the outcome is. But if I were you, I would try to just talk to this person with the goal of getting to know him, you know, for for your sake because I think we need to make sure that these people are a good fit for us too. You know, sometimes like if we're, we're eyeing somebody, we have this idea, they're on a pedestal, we kind of forget that, you know, we could actually be out of their league too. You know, not to put people in categories, but sometimes when we focus on, let me see if I can get a conversation started. Let me see if we can, maybe we'll talk and I won't be that interested in him anymore. Or maybe we'll talk and it's like love at first sight or whatever. Um, But once you're sure, then I think you can just go for it. And there's so many ways to do so. You know, you can just ask him straight out. You can write him a flirty note. And I feel like, you know, it's important to think of what's the worst that can happen, right? And then what's the best that can happen? And I think that the absolute worst is he's an a-hole, in which case he's not good enough for you. Right. So I asked my friend Edgar Turner, who is a personal trainer, a teacher, and a former Marine. We actually taught fitness boot camp together years ago, yelling at people at the top of our lungs uh, at 5 a.m. It was crazy, but he's a great guy, and I thought his perspective might help you, Tessa, and anyone in a similar situation. When I asked him what he would suggest, he said he would recommend starting with subtle signs. The most obvious and common sign that any woman can do is uh, smile. You know, a flirt. A flirt goes a long way. And I believe that uh, a lot of guys uh, enjoy that when they see, uh, you know, a woman and then she smiles at them, gives her just a a little bit of attention, not too much. And then I think once uh, a guy sees that, then uh, I really believe that uh, he can uh, go on and uh, actually like tried to pursue her. Thank you, Edgar. I thought that was a really interesting perspective, um, both that he thought subtle signs would be helpful. And he's hoping, like in his case, it sounds like he would like to be the one to to actually ask her out and maybe she could start it. What, what do you think, Fred? I personally think you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So I would totally just make a move. And like you said, you know, what's the worst that could happen? You get denied and everyone gets denied at some point in their life. So it's really not that bad. Yeah, it's true. And you probably would never regret going for it, but you probably would regret not. And I also think it's important to realize that you're probably overanalyzing this, you know, even if he does deny you, it's not going to be a big deal. He's going to forget about it. And just, you know, go with the flow. See what happens. And I bet he'll be flattered, too. Like, you know, I think the worst case scenario really is like, oh, you made him feel good about himself. Like, oh, because who doesn't want to think that somebody is interested in them? Exactly. Right. If you are concerned about rejection, Edgar said to think of it as breaking the ice when you talk to him rather than I'm going to hit on him, which I liked. You know, it's just like a gentle way to start with questions, he said, take interest. I also asked him if he'd feel flattered if a woman such as you, Tessa, approached and showed interest. And he said, absolutely, quote, it would make him feel like a million dollars. And being yourself is the most important thing. I think she just has to tell herself, you know what? Um, I am good enough. And this is why I'm going out on a limb and put myself, you know, make myself vulnerable. And she just has to, um, you know, see what happens. You know, I mean, you know, it's a, it's a courageous move. Everyone's not ready for it. But I think uh, by, you know, putting herself in that environment and just like showing up, you know, and then, you know, uh, just start talking. You know what I mean? You know, start having a communication. 
like I said, you know, it doesn't have to be nothing heavy, nothing deep. Just keep showing up, smiling, you know, being herself. And that's number one. You, you have to be yourself. Because if you can't, I mean, if you can't do that, then, you know, you're just like, you know, it's like faking the funk, so to speak. You know, you're not being uh, authentic. So all she has to do is just, you know, keep her head up, uh, keep smiling, right? Because that's the worst thing you can show a guy is that you have low self-esteem. So she has to tell, remind herself, you know, she's there for a reason. And if, and, and the number one reason is not, not him, okay? That's what uh, Tessa has to understand. The number one reason she's there is not for him. It's for herself first, right? So by, their, by her being there, she's getting herself together. And at the same time, you know, she has uh, other interests as well. And that's uh, making this gentleman, you know, see her. And, and then the more and more that happens, then she can reach out and say, hey, you know what? You might not have known this, but, uh, you know, I had a crush on you the whole time, you know? And then then little then little fun things like that come out, you know? And oh, really? Then, then, then it just makes, you know, life that much easier, especially for her. She'll feel so much better about herself. Which is really key, right? Feeling good about yourself, again, working on your own confidence. And, and I think, you know, we all have some insecurity. But what Edgar was saying was, you know, try to let your confidence show because we have that too. Yep. What would you advise for anybody who wants to hit on somebody? Is there any sort of, you know, it's different for everyone, I suppose, but any kind of strategies or suggestions? I mean, it sounds so cliche, but yeah, you have to be yourself because you see so many people just in life in general being who they think others want them to be. And before you know it, you know, they might end up in a dissatisfying relationship because they don't even know the true, genuine version of each other. But uh, yeah, I don't, just be confident because if, you know, and love yourself, like I said, because if you don't love yourself, it's contagious. You can't expect anyone else to love you if you don't love yourself. So, and it's all subjective, I, you know, I, I just don't know why anyone would ever say I'm average because what's average to you from your own definition of the word could be extraordinary to someone else. So Very don't, well said, just yeah. don't count yourself short before you even take the chance. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's very true. I think it's so easy to, especially when we're nervous, to not see our strengths where someone else is going to see radiance and, and beauty and all this great stuff for sure. Yeah, I think that's really important. and. And I don't think it's bad to, if you're nervous to say that, you know, like I think in some ways it's just more honest and sometimes kind of breaks the ice. Like when, uh, before I did, I did a TEDx talk and the coach said, you know, sometimes when you're speaking, the best thing you can do is get up and say, okay, I'm nervous. No, you don't do that on TEDx stage, obviously, Mm because you have to practice forever. Um, You're not supposed to do that. But if you're getting up to give a talk, a lot of times, like the whole room relaxes when you go, okay, I'm so nervous. And everyone's like, oh, I want to be here with you and support you, you know? Like sometimes doing that. And if you get a vibe that this guy is a nice guy, if you say I'm nervous, he's just going to hone in and be like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm listening. You can be vulnerable. That's okay. And everyone loves being flattered, like you said. You know, I've never had someone tell me I'm attractive or make a move on me and felt badly about it. Yeah, you're like, go away. Yeah. (laughs) Never. No. Never, never. It's like, oh, my God, thank you so much. Even, you know, even if the timing wasn't right or if I was kind of not interested, it's still flattering. You're still going to make him happy. Totally. Yeah, it's so true. I asked Edgar just for, like, any last advice that he might have. Look here, Tessa. I know your heart's in the right place. And I'm sure you're loving and you're just golden. Go out there and do your thing, girl. Don't worry about what other people are saying about you. And if you feel that, uh, hey, you want this guy to notice you and uh, to acknowledge you, and just don't be afraid to, uh, you know, tell him what you think, you know. But, but do it in a very, you know, honest, tasteful way, respectful. And, um, and then you'll find that, hey, you know what? People, uh, you know, they like that. They will, they will honor that. Just be yourself. Keep your head up. Keep smiling. And but do do things according to what's you know what's the best for you. And also be around people that have you know your best interests. And uh, other than that, I think you'll be fine. And I'm not worried about you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm not worried either. I think she's got this. And I think I think whenever we have a desire to step out of our comfort zone, there's a reason. Yeah. Which could be so many things, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like we don't always know why we're compelled to do something until we do it. And even her saying, you know, I'm average, he's so sexy, like like you said, so step out of your comfort zone. You're already acknowledging the fact that you like that person. For whatever reason, you've told yourself they're out of your league, but you're still having these feelings, so act on them. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I also asked our resident sex and relationship therapist, Dr. Megan Fleming, to weigh in, and I loved what she had to say. Tessa. Um, I love your question, and I love the fact that you want to go for and um, be an advocate, right, for something that you want. And in this case, potentially this hot man who's also a hot trainer at your gym. So, um, you know, there's there's a lot to be said about uh, how we define, quote unquote, what's in our league, um, whether that's physical attractiveness or intelligence or um maybe even like access to uh, sort of um, private exclusive clubs, that kind of thing. But I think the most important thing to recognize is that what's sexy is confidence. Um, And so I just want you to uh, sort of center and get grounded in uh, feeling your best, sexiest, and recognizing all that you have to offer. You know, you have to recognize you're uniquely you, the only one you exactly like you in the world. And you really do have something to offer. And so really connect with um, that truth, that experience, and shoulders back, you know, and, you know, with confidence in your tone and in your expression, start the conversation and just, you know, uh, perhaps say that, you know, you have an event coming up or, uh, you know, I don't know if it might be a concert or a sporting event and, you know, you happen to have an extra ticket is, you know, is he interested in joining you? I think that, or could you be, be hey, you know, I'd love to grab a cup of coffee. Um, you know, do you ever have time? Sort of, you know, what morning might be good for you? Uh, basically, always asking for what you want, ask for it nicely, and being prepared to hear no. Uh, that's my tip for you. Go out, feel connected to your value, ask for what you want, ask for it nicely. And if it doesn't happen, at least you know you put yourself out there. And best case scenario, you're going to have a great hot date. As always, love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. You can learn more about her at greatlifegreatsex.com. I loved what she said about posture. I think that that can make a huge difference. There are those um, those poses, like the superwoman pose. You know, there's research that shows. Amy mm-hmm. Cuddy is the sociologist who did the research, and she found that if you stand like superwoman, superman, with your hands on your hips and really tall, even for you know a very short time, a minute or two, that instantly people perform better in school or whatever it is they're doing. So there are a lot of ways to boost confidence, you know, because we all need that. Even when you're working on your self-love and you're feeling pretty good, we can use those boosters when we're nervous. What do you do to feel more confident? Things that I love, things that make me feel good about myself. I, you know, I grew up skateboarding, so I like to skateboard. I run marathons and I always feel like, you know, I've accomplished something at the end of them. Um, yeah, just things that make me happy. Spending time with nature. I love being outdoors. I, I mean, sometimes you just have to go into yourself and realize what it is that makes you special and unique. Yeah, I like that. Engaging in something you really enjoy and feel authentic in. I think that that's huge and different for everyone. But it's a great way to think of, because I think when we're going into a situation where we want to impress somebody, we think so much about that person (laughs) instead of thinking about like, what can I do to feel awesome right now? You know? And whenever we do think about ourselves, we just naturally kind of think negatively, which is so silly. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. So obviously in Tessa's situation, she's thinking about the conventional way of asking someone out. A lot of people use dating apps now. How do you feel about dating apps? Do you feel like they're just depends. They're generally good. It's better to meet people in person. No, I think they're good. Um, You know, the premise is essentially judging people off their looks initially, which I think naturally we all kind of do anyways. But, uh, you know, it it makes it convenient. And 
I, I don't think people should put too much emphasis on dating apps. You should still try to meet people in your natural life. But if you feel that you're ready to meet someone, swipe away. Yeah, why not? Why yeah. not try the different things? I think it's kind of like social media in some ways where you can get obsessed with it. I've met several people who said that they kind of got a little addicted to who's swiping, who's not swiping, all that stuff. So yeah. um, that balance is probably really key. I, I'm just so open to experiences that, you know, some of my good friends I've met on Tinder or Bumble, and I have a profile that's half my pictures and half about my website and what I do. And people wonder what my intent is there. And I'm like, honestly, whatever comes, you know, there doesn't have to be one specific motive for being on those kind of sites. Yeah, that's true. Because really, ideally, if you're dating people, if you could see it as I'm meeting people mm -hmm. and I may be wanting to date these people, you know, instead of like I'm looking for my future spouse or whatever, it could take a lot of pressure off and make it more fun. Exactly. Yeah. Do you have a bad date experience that you can share? Yeah. Um, in general, I'm just such a curious person that I find myself asking the girl so many questions. And then she asks, well, what about you? And I just feel like I'm not good about talking about myself because I never want to come off as egotistical. So mm. there's just been several like Q&A dates, you know, it wasn't really, it wasn't <laughs> conversational. Interview. Yeah, it was me interrogating them. And then they're like, well, tell me something about you. Yeah, so I'm don't like, do that. Uh, you, check, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the back and forth is nice. Like, it's really nice to know that someone takes genuine interest in you mm -hmm. and is doing it because they really are interested. Right. You know, um, not like researching you to try to morph into someone who, who you like or whatever. Yeah, I, I think given what I do too, people question, you know, I'm like the Taylor Swift of, of dating, I guess. They'll be like, oh, well... If I go on a date with you and it's bad, are you going to, like, blog about it? <laughs> it's like, no, probably not. Like, you know. Do they ask you that? Yeah, I've definitely heard that before. Yeah. I could I, I'm not saying it's out of question. You yeah. know, maybe if it's that bad of an experience or if I feel that it's something worth sharing with people. Yeah, that people can learn from. But I never, I would never call someone out and yeah. say, you know, this is Amanda. She lives on 27 Vendome Street. Yeah. And I had a terrible date with her. Right. And you should go egg her house. Jeez, yeah. That's a really good point. By it's, the way, that's a made up name and a made up street number. So if there happens to no be an Amanda names, on that please. street, we're not talking about you. <laughs> Yeah, good good point there. Yeah, that's really, really interesting because I think also because of social media and the way we can cyberstalk people. You know, we've talked about that. I talked about it with another Dr. Megan Stubbs on the show, and she's a sexologist. And mm -hmm. so she started to realize she needed to have separate profiles because when people think, I'm going on a date with a sexologist, they thought she would be, like, hanging from the chandelier naked. And she's like, I'm just a human being. Yeah. <laughs> like, and we just talk about some normal things. And, and sex is one part of my life, and it's my job, but it's not all I am. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I think that's so important. What do you think is one really common dating mistake people make or love mistake? One dating mistake. Um, hmm. Besides not being yourself, you mentioned that. Yeah, I think not living in the moment. I mean, nothing drives me crazier than when someone's checking their phone every five minutes and just not being aware of social cues. I mean, I've had some of the worst dates imaginable where you just think it would be understood that we're probably not going to talk again. And then they ask, like, when's the second date? So, yeah, yeah just be aware of your surroundings. And are you pretty straightforward? When, if somebody says, how about our second date? Do you say, you know, I don't think it's going to work? Yeah. And, That's you know, I don't. I don't mean to make it sound like I'm always in the driver's seat. There's definitely been times where I've wanted a second date and that mm -hmm. person didn't want it. But honesty is yeah. such a big part of it, too. Just be honest. Be yourself. Go with the flow. See where it takes you. Yeah. Yeah. And don't uh, don't be afraid to be clear and to ask questions and to, to be straightforward because it can be really confusing otherwise. If two people have different, one person wants a relationship, the other person doesn't. Yep. You know. And I think I've always tried to be so nice that I might not tell them, you know, I wasn't really into you. I won't necessarily go on a second date with them, but just be upfront and honest with them. Because if you hear the honest truth, you're only going to benefit from it. I, again, I can't apply it to my own relationships. This is what <laughs> right. I say other people should do. That's that's the goal. That's, yep. Yeah. Um, so you say that you love love. 
I do. What is it that you love about it so much? What's your favorite? The thing that thing? I love about it most is how it can make you feel such a wide range of emotions, depending on where you're at in your relationship. You know, you can be singing from the top of the mountains, just orgasmically happy because of love, or you can be bedridden and depressed and feel like shit and think that love fucking sucks. And I think it just amazes me how that one feeling can make you feel such drastic feelings. Yeah, it's powerful. So powerful. Yeah, and it's the most vulnerable we can be, I think. Mm -hmm. Have you been in love? Yeah, definitely. So you know how to speak about the heartbreak and, and, and the powerful emotions. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Yep. And so as somebody who's very present and who studies these things, works in these topics, are you goal-oriented as far as you're seeking love or is it kind of like... My personal path yeah. to finding love? You know, I go through phases. I, I was so in love with a girl and then once that went to shit, that girl that I kind of mapped out the future and who knows, my map was incorrect, I suppose. But uh, then after that, I just hate the idea of love. You know, I'm so drastic either way and over-emotional. But right now I'm kind of in that I don't care either way. Like if it if it comes, that's great. But I'm happy alone, too. That's a good place to be. Because so many people put emphasis, especially I'm 27 now. I noticed a lot of girls around this age, you know, like, well, I need to get married by this age. I need to have children by that age and I'll be happily ever after by this age. And it's like when you when you set up these made up numbers, because there is no specific age, it's all case by case, you only set yourself up for failure. And again, you're not living in the moment. You're trying to predict the future and things don't always go the way you planned, but life's still good. And, you know, enjoy your time on this earth. That's beautiful advice. I really do think that living our lives, whether we use apps, whether we go to bars, whatever we do, when we are living our life in an authentic way, you know, engaging in the things we enjoy, connecting with, like when we're living well, we meet people. Yeah. And we we attract people. And I think it's it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of a strange comparison, but um, when I was quitting my acting career before mm -hmm. I became a writer, I, I knew I was quitting. I'm like, I knew I was a writer. It was like this little bit when I was doing both for a short, short time. And as soon as I did not want to act anymore, I got called in every freaking audition. Yep. And it's like there was no desperation. Yeah. And so everyone wanted me. Right. And it's like I kind of feel like it's similar. Yeah. I mean, I believe in the power of the universe and you get what you give, like the new radicals say. And, you know, if if you're happy and you're optimistic and you're positive, you're going to attract happy, optimistic, positive people. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. So what you really have to focus on is that self-work, though. And happiness, you know, life is all perspective. Abe Lincoln once said, most folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. And that's such a good quote. I mean, we all have reasons to be happy. You know, we live privileged lives for the most part. While we all go through hardships, it always could be worse. That's true. Really focusing on the positive Practicing gratitude, mm -hmm. you know, like gratitude journals are really powerful. Even such a such a small thing, and I believe your friend that called in spoke about it, just smile to people as you pass them on the street and see what they do back. Nine times out of ten, they're going to smile back. That's just a small example of how powerful, you know, you get what you give really is. Yeah, you're a big believer in karma, I read. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Have, what's an example from your life? An example from my life when I knew karma was happening. Let me think about this for a moment. Because I do think it's, there's really something about what we put out and, you know. Yeah. Um, the way we treat people. I just, I do ayahuasca. Are you familiar with what ayahuasca is? It's basically this Amazonian plant medicine that, Oh, I saw it on Chelsea Handler. Yeah, so okay. Chelsea did it. But, it, I mean, it's great. What it does that fascinates me is it lets you look at your own life, not out of your own lens. So you finally take this unbiased look at who you are and who you want to be. And just doing that and realizing that I'm fortunate enough to meet the people 
that, you know, I go through those practices with because I'm so open-minded. It just makes me realize that you do get what you give. And I've always been open to experiences and I've always wanted to better myself. And now I'm in these situations where I can literally look at myself through a microscope and have no emotional attachment whatsoever and really work on myself and do what it's gonna take to make me the best version of myself as possible. Did it make you really sick like it did Chelsea? I've done it three times and I vomited once. It, It naturally makes you vomit or get diarrhea. But I mean, what you're doing, the work that you're doing on yourself is so far superior to any physical pain that it's going to put you through. And that's the thing that's interesting about it is it will put you through the ringer. A lot of people, when they do it, the first thing they do is confront death. And basically, if you don't surrender and witness, it'll just keep playing ways that you die. And, you know, it sounds like such a painful process, but I think the underlying message usually is that you don't need to live your life in fear. Mm. And so many people come out the other end with just profound experiences after doing that. That's so interesting. Yeah. You know, I don't think it's for everyone, but if you're open to it, I think plants can be amazing teachers. And there's a reason that, you know, the indigenous people in the Amazon have been using these medicines for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Yeah. I feel like I should mention, make sure you know where it's coming from, right? Oh, yeah. And if you have like a health condition, talk to your doctor, la, la, la. It's really big in Peru and it's becoming somewhat of an issue because it's such a tourist attraction that there will be shamans there that are just trying to There's whole retreats, I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So, yeah, don't, you know, it's definitely a referral thing and don't go anywhere that you don't feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. But self-reflection is really big, you know, mm-hmm. whatever means you use. Exactly. You know, whether it's meditation, yoga, whatever, whatever makes you sit back and just kind of get out of your own head. That's what it really comes down to. That's where you're going to learn the most about who you truly are. Beautiful. Thank you for being here today. Of course. Thank you for having me. So tell everyone where they can learn more about you and potentially work with you. My website is lovefuckingsucks.com. And yeah, if you look there, I mean, there's a way to contact me by email. I have my cell phone number listed, so feel free to reach out. And I hope I can help all of you that are having any issues or just want to say what's up very soon. Awesome. I hope you all will check Brett's website out if you are in a place where you could use some guidance or support or you're feeling like love fucking sucks. Uh, If you have a question for him, shoot it his way. If you have a question for me or for Dr. Megan, shoot it to me. Go to augustmclaughlin.com and hit the contact tab. I always protect people's privacy. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio and you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes, I hope you will. And leave us a simple review while you're there. It's so helpful and keeping things going here. So thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.